Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. Much like many of your favorite movies, they're based in something. Sometimes they're in the written word. Other times they're in ink and dialogue bubbles. Today we're going and looking at The Mask. Not the movie, but the original comic book series by Dark Horse Comics in today's episode. As always, I'm the remarkable Remzo Martinez. Bring it to you live. Additionally, the miraculous Mr. Mark Claire. Mark, we're covering a book that was kind of a, you know, an... An, an out of field one for me, one that I wouldn't have considered myself. But thank goodness that we've got some uh, some pimpin Patreon producers who wanted us. Oh my God! Try saying that five times fast. Pimpin Patreon producers. 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 I stopped at three because uh, I already felt it. I it felt I, like I, too much, but you didn't feel the same way. So I okay. just had to go ahead and see it through. And much like this book, it was uh, it was an oddball. So let's go ahead and just, um, you know, wait for a moment and ask the most important question of the day. How are you? I'm doing quite well, actually. Uh, and I just want to address some things that have been, been said online uh, regarding our adaptation from the book, the original novel of Second Print Comics. Yes, there are some differences. No, we couldn't get all the, the actors we necessarily wanted. But it's not bad. And if you just sit through it, you know, you can enjoy the ride with us. That's all we ask. Like, like Ant-Man, like Quantumania. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Which is based on an original. <laughs> well, yeah, which is actually based on some much better comics, but we'll leave that there. You can hear our Ant-Man review by going back next week, going back next week. No, going back in the past, well, in the which quantum is easy. Verse. You got to, you have to go into the quantum verse to actually hear our uh, discussion of Ant-Man Quantumania, which we didn't quite necessarily see eye to eye on. Although our, our final scores were, were, Oddly close for people that seem to disagree for a whole show, but that's kind of how we roll. Uh, but nonetheless, you don't need to go to the quantum verse. You can just tick back in your podcast feed or you can go to the second print comics YouTube channel. We are for some reason uh, doing this all on video now so we can look at each other as we argue about, um, you know, if, if socialism jokes are funny from Michael Douglas and, and things of that nature. So you can check that all out in last week's edition and uh, every other week or so, which means next week we will be looking at pop culture with what we call SPC pop. So uh, I think pop. next week, what do we got in store next week? Why don't we do a little preview? I think we're going to be talking about a lot of happenings at DC, mostly at the James Gunnverse and everything going on with that. Although there is a certain new writer on a certain new book that's been announced that we will also address. But I'm going to leave it there because I don't he want to go down a rabbit hole. Named. He will not be named, at least not this week, named. maybe next week. Tune in to find out. Uh, nonetheless, Remzo, before we dive into this story today, as you kind of mentioned about our, our what was the phrase? Pimpin'? 
Pimpin Patreon. Pimpin Patreon producers. Pimpin Patreon producers. Pimpin Patreon right. producers. Well, we had the most pimpin of Patreon producers, our man Jeffrey, who, as you'll see in a moment, he actually just bought us the mask. He wanted us to read the mask miniseries. So what did he do? He didn't just send us a link. He didn't just send us a PDF or something like that. He didn't even just send us the miniseries. He sent us the freaking omnibus, this guy. This guy. So he pays us money, our highest level patron, and then sends us a book too. That It really doesn't get better than that. But we can just talk about Jeffrey, or we could actually go talk to Jeffrey. So let's go talk to Jeffrey. Let's travel through the quantum verse. And bring it to you live. The majestic wizard himself coming in as our Patreon producer of the month. We've got the remarkable Mr. Jeffrey himself. Jeffrey, you went ahead and sent us a very, very special task. You wanted us to go ahead and go through the original miniseries, The Mask, which as I looked through it, is nothing like the Jim Carrey film. (laughs) And in so many sweet, sweet, good ways. Let's go ahead and jump in. You got so many options you can go ahead and pick for us why did this story go ahead and jump out to you well it, when i was a kid uh you know my parents they were uh well my mom particularly was sort of religious so you know she didn't there was a lot of stuff that she wouldn't let me be exposed to the rock and like, rolls you know, huh well not the rock lettuce, and rolls but well Democrats. well like uh, she wouldn't let everything me is a demon that. i know where you're going with this <laughs> Well, she wouldn't let me go into the local comic book shop but for a while right. because of the, because of the, yeah because of the satanic stuff in there, i.e., Dungeons and Dragons. But uh, well, you she's know. not wrong. But that's not that's neither here nor there. That's a whole different podcast. Yeah, yeah but uh, so we'd seen the movie The Mask when I was a kid, and so I was able to convince them to get me the uh, mask and The Mask Returns for Christmas. So naturally, I started reading, and I was like. Huh, that's odd. This isn't anything like the uh, like the movie at all. And so I was able to work around that just by chance. And so you know, it's ha- it's had a special place in my heart since then. You know, bro, so that's I how figured- I feel about that's how I feel about the Watchmen because my parents always associated comic books with like the cartoons I would watch uh, on Saturday mornings. So one day they were like, Oh, he wants this book called the Watchmen. He's only like nine, 10 years old. Sure. Let's get it for him. And then they pull up to the rape scene between the comedian and the first silk specter. And then they're like, yeah, this is going back to the store. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a little heavy reading right there for a 10 year old. It's funny. You guys say that about the movie. Cause obviously Renzo and I will dig further into this in the show. And maybe this is just my perspective with my expectations because I expected it to be way different than the movie. And I was actually surprised how similar it was. Um, But I, 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 there are huge differences and there are obviously very different aspects to it. Obviously the book is a lot more violent, but I was surprised that it was in many ways as cartoony as aspects of the, the mask was as over the top. I thought that maybe Jim Carrey added a lot of that over the topness himself, but that part actually is very much in line, uh, at least with the, initial iteration of the mask character that we see in this series so that that i actually was surprised in the in the opposite way as you as you guys but they're both true in their own way yeah, yeah. but uh yeah i just figured you know it's this is where you guys say yeah mark you're so spot on yeah that's such a, a cute <laughs> observation on, yeah yeah but uh so uh yeah i just figured you know it seems like a comic that's sort of been forgotten over the years like even the movie like nobody really you know, it never really became a thing past itself. 
you know. You know, there was actually out, a Mask Two movie. That. Yeah, they son, came out with son that of the sequel Mask. in the two thousands, but no, I think was... it's just about the dog. Like, there's there's no Jim Carrey involved at all. Yeah, I think uh, Jamie Kennedy, I think, played. Uh, yes, you're right. Yeah. It is Jamie Kennedy. Yeah, it, it was terrible. Malibu's Most Wanted. Yes. See, now, now, if you really want to torture us, you would make that your our next our next uh, Kirby Club review to watch. No, the we Mask have to set some boundaries. To watch some, some Son of the Mask. No, no, I no. wouldn't do that. Well, uh, I mean, this this guy reminded me of like Men in Black because Men in Black was also based off a comic book that has yeah. almost you know just disappeared. Nobody, I've ne- nobody sells it. Nobody talks about it. Um, I mean, it was a popular franchise, of course, had a cartoon series and everything. But I mean, that's another situation where it's like the the new property, the new media form takes over the one completely. Yeah. Well, not to bury the lead here, but I think we all know that the real reason we became very interested in the film The Mask at the ages we were at around then. Well, Remzo wasn't even born yet, so whatever. But uh, for me and Jeffrey, probably, uh, was the really the best and peak performance and I believe debut of one Cameron Diaz in the yes. finest, finest performance of a lifetime. And I mean that on, on every level, including the dancing. The dancing was incredible. I don't know if that was all her, but they made it look like her. Yeah. Yeah. She, I was that, was a, that was a special time, wasn't it? It was a special time when yes. boys became men and Cameron yeah. Diaz has never been the same. Still a Fox though. Don't get me wrong. Still a Fox. Oh, yeah. I would do anything. Cause I, I honestly, the mad, the original mask is one of my favorite. It's in my top 10 easily of, of favorite movies. I, I fucking love that movie. Um, so the aspects that I enjoyed of that, I was surprised at how much I did find them in this book. In addition to a lot of things I didn't find in the movie. So of course, Remzo and I will break this down further in the body of the show, but Jeffrey, I want to thank you, not just for being our top level patron, our infinity gauntlet patron. You definitely, you hold the fate of the universe in your hands here with us. Uh, But if that weren't enough, if funding basically this entire operation wasn't enough, not only that you actually sent us the mask omnibus for us to read. I was like, well, maybe we'll find it digitally somewhere. And Jeffrey's like, I am not having that. You are not reading digital books on my dime, on my watch. So not only does this man pay us, but he also is pimping out our collection as well. So Jeffrey, Big much thanks to you. Energy. If if only we had 50 Jeffreys, we could do this for a living all day and all night. So Jeffrey, go make some kids and have them support us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. All right. All right. Th- thanks a lot, Jeffrey. We appreciate it. Jeffrey. Thank you. Okay. All right. Good times. Cool. That will work. So we're going to record the actual episode on Monday. So I'll just like, I'll just splice this in there with my magical shitty editing, editing powers. Should I wear All the right. same outfit on Monday? I know. I was thinking that I'm like, should, should I, we, do I need ma- do, do I need to have continuity? Now? now we're a little bit more like, you know, on the, on the, maybe on the observation scale. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to save this shirt <laughs> <laughs> and not in the same level of shave. So I don't know how I'm going to pull that off. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see. Anyway, thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate it. I got to hop on another yeah. meeting guys, but. Good times. Right, Glad you. we could bang this right. out. Cool. Right, you guys have later. a good day. Peace right. man. Bye. All right. That was the great Jeffrey. And I do mean great because if you send us the kind of cash that Jeffrey sends us and send me books like this, I'll call you anything you want. Daddy. So I'm going to call Jeffrey great. But Je- Jeffrey's a great guy. We really do appreciate him uh, being our, our premier patron here. Now, Remzo. I think it's time to dive in. Before we dive into the Max, the mask, I always call it the Mac and that the Max, not because I think it's like the Max, but because although it's, there is, are similarities, but because I just I am retarded and I can't say the mask without saying the Max. He said the R word, one star on Apple. We're not allowed to say that. All right. I liked no. it better before they started saying retarded. 
That was yeah. an actual, almost an actual review. Uh, but Remzo, just like you and me, we both were first introduced to this character. Although I, I think I was vaguely aware that there was a comic book around the time, but I certainly didn't read it. Um, what were your first impressions when you first saw the mask movie with Jim Carrey and recent impressions? If you've recently, re- I, I rewatched it this weekend. So it's fresh on the, the old noggin for me. It's a it's a Jim Carrey classic. And for a film that was using a lot of CGI, you have to remember, this is within like a five year window of who framed Roger Rabbit. Way better CGI than She-Hulk and and better CGI than MODOK. No question about it. Which is a very, very low bar. That's not a joke either. How I think the over reliance on green screens for everything has made everything just dull because they just say, ah, we'll fix it in post. The post guys will do it. The animators will take care of that. Let's just worry about acting on a green screen, which I think takes away. Whereas before it was more like we shoot a real thing on a real set with real things and we we just tweak some things with with some animation or whatever so then it still feels like it's in the real environment that's what bugged me the most about the feel of quantum mania not to retread these horses but i don't think i went on this particular rant of that episode it the whole thing just doesn't feel fake and it's not just because of an, a special effect here or there it's because oh, the whole entire environment feels feels uh plastic and fake anyway yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's a film that also had just a star-studded cast. I mean, we're looking at the first on-screen debut of Cameron Diaz. We've got... And ben what Stein. a debut it is. Yeah. Uh, we've got... Channeling ben 12-year-old Mark here. <laughs> and 42-year-old current Mark, but anyway. Well, she still looks like... Even my wife is into her... It's, a, it's, it's Cameron I mean, Diaz. It's kind of hard not to. Yeah, it really is. But no, it, I mean, honestly... It, all kidding aside, this is Cameron Diaz's debut, and I love her and think she's a great actress and has always been beautiful, but this is her peak. This is oh, her absolute her debut and her peak all in once. Yeah, but it's I mean, we, we've also, we've got, uh, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Ben Stein. We've yep, got yep. Um, Jim Carrey, who at this point is the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Let's think about it. Already that. when this came out, he was? When this came out, I think this is also what solidified it. It's not John Travolta. It's not Tom Cruise. It's not... <laughs> Uh, Wesley Snipes. It's Jim Carrey. Um, you know, this is this is a film that really stands at the top of his, you know, best works. We're talking about Cable Guy. We're talking about um, Yes Man. Uh, what was Don't it? Don't forget Ace Ventura, Pet Ace Detective. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. I mean, this is, this is in that debut. And I mean, not only did the film do well, but it had a cartoon series. It had a toy line. The mask was straight pimping when it came out so with that in mind it's a very comedic movie it was very much sanitized like many comic books uh are when they are translated to film and let me tell you actually reading the first of the four miniseries that dark horse produced for the mask i was shocked it was like it was like almost the same you can you can see a lot of like the key moments like when he's going between different mask personas, but this is very much a different story, much, much more different than what I anticipated reading. Yeah. I was kind of uh, on on both ends of it a little bit because I I do remember again, like vague awareness of this being a comic and kind of knowing, I mean, it's from dark horse. It's obviously going to be a darker, more violent comic um, than it is for a a movie that is rated PG 13. Uh, So I was, I was mentally prepared for the, uh, the, the added layers of violence, but what actually surprised me was how accurate to the movie it was in, in the sense of how over the top and almost comedic the mass character was. I had always probably assumed that that was a lot of Jim Carrey, 
Barry sort of adding his Jim Carreyness to it, which he certainly does, and he makes his own thing out of it and has his own personality about it. Um, but it, it is very much the arrive that personality that that over the top, uh, you know, changing of weird outfits that is all really from the book. Uh, and I, I kind of assumed that was like cartoony stuff they added on. And so that's the most interesting thing about this book to me, uh, especially from this perspective of being 30 years out from this movie, a weekend out from this movie since we just rewatched it. Um, it it's still the movie still really holds up as a I guess a good comedy like a good 90s comedy it it's laugh out loud uh i think it absolutely holds up and again we have prime diaz which is always nice um but i actually remember it seeming violent when i was a kid and you realize now especially next to reading the book you realize how sanitized the violence was i think the most violent thing that happened in the entire movie was when he he's like the carnival barker guy and he shoots a machine gun at all these guys but none of them get hit by any bullets and then later you see them with these like poles up their asses and it's implied he basically raped them anally with these like giant uh, street lights or something but that but we don't see that it's just kind of a comedic moment and even that is, is played there pretty... for the adults taking their kids to see yes it. like like us adults are like oh they got butt raped right jim and then yeah you know, and then then you then you and, and jim and you jim laugh but you don't explain why you're laughing was that jim face. werner at the movie with me <laughs> making uh making <laughs> anal rape jokes as he's want to do uh yeah but nonetheless uh that was uh yeah i mean it, it's interesting watching it now because it really it, 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 like you said the book is way more violent of course and even some of the violence in the book you're like whoa that's that's way violent they couldn't have done that in a movie but the the slapstickiness of the book that's what really stood out to me and what really surprised me the most and i i guess i guess it almost makes me appreciate the movie more because i had assumed it was just jim he was just jim carrying up an otherwise serious character and he really was playing the character it, it makes me appreciate that he was playing the character truly to like near perfection in this movie because so much of that was actually derived from the book yeah, this was very much written for Jim Carrey. Before we totally. go ahead and jump in, I need to ask, what is your favorite Jim Carrey film? Who? What? Dude, it might be The Mask, to be honest. I have to think about it a little deeper. Um, let's see. Well, no, it's probably, um, what is the one? The Tru- It's The Truman Show, Truman is, my, Show. is my number one. But the, the Mask is not far behind. And it, frankly... In a Truman Show, I got to be in the right mood for it. You know, you got to be ready to watch kind of a cerebral whatever, what have you. Whereas The Mask, I feel like I could pop on in the background at any moment. Um, so it might even be a re- more watchable movie, although I wouldn't necessarily rank it higher, if that makes sense. What about you? Mine would have to be Fun of Dick and Jane. I don't think I've seen it. That movie is... <laughs> really? Is that good? It, it's it's really funny. He plays... It's basically... Or is that the, the one where they're like robbers sort of or something kind of there it's basically it's basically enron it's basically what happened at enron and it has uh alec baldwin before he was shooting people i forget who plays his wife but it's just a you know it's a much more toned down jim carrey comedy but there are certain scenes in there like at one point um he he gets uh, stung by a bee and as he's going to basically because he's he's been fired from like their Enron equivalent, he, he becomes like a day laborer. So he goes and hangs out with a bunch of Mexicans and all of a sudden he gets stung by a bee and then ice shows up. And because he lost his wallet, uh, he gets deported to Mexico. So his <laughs> wife has to basically help him break back into the U.S. And while he's doing it, he's bringing a bunch of his day laborer friends with him. It's just that's just like one minor scene in the film. But that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. But yeah, fun, fun of Dick and Jane is probably my favorite Jim Carrey movie. Another good one is Yes Man. I love that. Yes that's Man. my number two. That's my number two. All right. That's probably somewhere in my, if I, had, I if I took the time to sit down and re-rank them, it'd probably be somewhere in that top five. And I always get it confused in my mind with Liar Liar. They're sort of similar premises yeah. in, in a sense, but they're both, I think they're both pretty, pretty decent. My, my well. third would be uh, You, Me, and Irene. 
where he is plays that, the schizo cop. Oh, that's the one I was. That's the one I thought was the fun with Dick and Jane. Okay, so I don't think I've seen this fun with Dick and Jane movie. Fun, fun with Dick and Jane came out in like 2006. It's a more recent Jim Carrey. That movie. was my everything dark period. It was my comic dark period, my wrestling dark period, my Jim Carrey dark period. So, oh yeah, if I had to recommend a movie this weekend, I would I would definitely say go ahead and grab a uh, grab uh, fun of Dick and Jane. I think I've only seen one bad Jim Carrey movie. Do you want to know what it is? The Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Ooh, that's I actually don't love that one as much as many do, but that, that's not what I'm I'm talking about. That's I a mean, sad movie. That's not it, a funny movie. That's it is melancholy, movie. and I it's like one of those movies where like I'm not gonna say this is a bad movie because I can recognize that it has good qualities and is well made, and, but it's I like never want to watch it. When he does dramas, it's like Wakanda forever. Wakanda takes forever. That's I can recognize that that there's right things there. that are well done in the movie, and that Angela Bassett's a great actress. I can recognize those things all to be true, while also saying I would never ever want to watch that again or force my worst enemy too i'll blame you on that one uh no but because it was for free the movie i'm talking about now is it's called the number 23 oh that is a shit film it's really bad that is just a bad movie i don't know if he's bad in it it's just a bad movie he probably did as much with it as he it was it was a bad casting and a bad movie yes he is not he is not right for a movie like that especially a bad movie like that and it it, that movie's so funny though because at first it's like sort of a cool concept it's like little numerology like mystery stuff but then it gets so absurd where they're 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 always getting to this number 23, but it gets more and more ridiculous. Like first it's like, Oh, Oh, a two, uh, you know, three plus one, five minus two, 23. And, but then it gets absurd where they like, they get to, even if they get to 32, like they'll, they'll do this whole minus four over uh, carry the three, like 32. And then they turn into each other and be like 23 reverse. It's like, hold on. Now you don't even need to get to 23. You can also get to 32 and then just look in shock and say 23 reversed. Uh, that's what uh, that movie lost it for me. Um, but anyway, that's, that's all I have to say about my Jim Carrey rankings. Well, folks, today we are covering the first Max. I'm sorry, the first Max. See, it's hard not to say Max, isn't it? Kind of a pain. It's weird. Uh, For reference, now that I now that I uh, incepted it into your mind, you're always it's going to be stuck there. It's like my issues episodes. Mm -hmm. Forgive me. So we are covering this from the omnibus, which carries all four of the limited series. The only true separation between them uh, is when one series end and the others begin. So we're not going to be splitting this into issues like we have in other episodes episodes in the past see what i did there yeah i did um, i did instead I, I like what i did over that. what i did was i took all 150 pages of the mask and i broke it down into sections i'll be going ahead and giving you my notes as we go ahead and recap the story the art the stuff that sticks out to us and mark will be going in filling in between and giving his sideshow thoughts throughout this so sit back relax that's and, ag- exactly what's gonna happen yes yeah that was a good layout enjoy the mask here it is so we are jumping in and from from the upstart, I got to say that the artwork reminds me of a of a limited edition indie series that we covered about a year ago. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This doesn't you're going to say mage mage. Well, I mean, it looks like mage. I think maybe because uh, the original uh, Eastman and Laird uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was more recent. I think maybe my mind went there. But yeah, this is very much like uh, Mage. It's it's done in what I'll say like an anti-Marvel style. This is not what you're going to see over at DC. This is not what you're going to go ahead and see at Marvel. This is way grungier, what I would consider more of a punk rock comic era. Think of Judge Dredd. Think of uh, Barbarella. Think of Tank Girl. This is the type of dark horse art that you're going to get. There's a um, certain type of art. I just call it like, like it's basically just 
80s indie grunge and it's like a style and you can recognize it even by different artists this is it just where it just feels like an, an indie comic from the late 80s or early 90s and it's they have a different feel. even the paper i feel like was different they had a totally different feel like even the smell like little details that you can only like know by holding the books themselves they just felt and looked different than uh, a book from marvel or dc this was the type of comic that you were almost like, you know, should I be buying this? this is right. It felt like, like you're like secret. Yeah. Like you're sort of on the, the comic version of the dark web or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is underground. I mean, this is when I think Dark Horse was at its prime. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. Um, so we go ahead and start off the first couple pages, pages one through three. Some nerd is buying a damaged green wooden mask from a pawn shop in a seedy part of town as he's going ahead and buying it. And this guy looks like you're like typical nerd. He almost reminds me of who's the guy from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. Yeah, he almost looks like Rick Moranis. And as he buys it, you know, he's walking out and he sees that this biker gang rolling by you know swooshes bat past his uh beat up this jalopy. same gang appears is also in every 80s indie comic as the uh as whoever harasses the, who are, will become yeah. our hero this is yeah. this it's, happens in every it's comic. very it's very much like warriors come out and play yes. it's that 80s gang um so Those they guys. roll by they damage his side mirror his car and he starts yelling at them so they can you know basically get get his get his two cents but that's a bad idea when you're a nerd in a shit part of town so what they do is they swing right around because as bikers do and they end up just kicking his ass so they go ahead and do that they don't kill him he goes back to his vehicle and there's not much dialogue from here what you're seeing is uh, dialogue balloons but you're actually seeing illustrations of his thoughts and this mm-hmm. is a demented little fucker he's just thinking of all these ways to kill them it's almost what, what i would call like an acne style cartoon kind of like you know um bra- uh pinky in the brain type of thing it's almost like that slapsticky cartoonish style you're getting from 90s cartoons so that's what i remembered as i'm going through this because it's a different style of thought balloon so that stuck out it does so make it, you wonder if like this kind of occurred to me like okay at first i saw i thought is this guy stanley just you know he's been beat up picked on his whole life etc cetera, etc cetera, so he's built up these these so violent thoughts or because he already has the mask in his possession i'm wondering if this is like early on showing us how the mask is already affecting his thoughts by being near him and putting these sort of demonic, like murderous thoughts in his head. So I think you, you could look at it either way. I think as the story goes on and I went all the way through the omnibus. Uh, so I know a little more than everyone else will by reading this, but you know, th- there is credence, I think to the idea that a lot of this is, there's a lot more of the mask than there is the person, but it's certainly a mis- mix no matter what. I agree. And I I think that's one of those things that's set up to be a question without a clear answer, especially at the beginning of this. And and we, you know, we're we're going to his apartment. He's walking upstairs and he's still having these thoughts. And you can begin to see almost immediately they make no grievance about it, that the mask is sentient like it's it's a living thing. So as he's walking and talking to himself as he's going up to the apartment, you hear the mask literally say out loud. So what are we waiting for? Let's go waste some Nazis. And he looks down at it and he's just like what the fuck so he's thinking that he's either tired you know he's going crazy maybe it was the ass kicking he got right there they're just going straight into it a lot like mage now that you've got me thinking about it where they're just laying it out very clear right at the beginning so just from here what do you think of the tone what do you think of the style what do you think of the setup do you think it's too fast do you think it's too typical of other books from the era right here i could definitely tell you that when i was thinking of what would the mask look like before i went ahead and read this this was not necessarily a style that came to mind 
Well, I, I do like, well, first of all, I do like the art, even though I kind of made the joke about the, the style. It, I do really like the art. It feels very sort of uh, realistic and such. And Stanley is somewhat of a, like a stereotypical nerd character. Uh, and, you know, I, but to me, I think we had to see this a little bit. And I, I think that's, it's better that they started off with someone like Stanley having the mask where you can imagine that a lot of the, the things that he's doing are because of, you know, all the torture this obviously this nerd has gone through and and all the hatred he's probably built up for bullies and criminals and that sort of thing so i think it actually you know for people that go further and further and they, they do get into this even in this miniseries um it, it kind of lets you understand how much the mask is, is part of this and how much is the person but because like you said they do kind of leave it open-ended you don't really know how much is stanley how much is the mask at first uh but this setup to it does give you the fuel to think that it that this could be it might the mask might just have no personality of its owner have no desires to do cause destruction and mayhem of its own for all we know it might be all stanley's and the mask having the power so of course that that story uh, unfolds throughout but i do like the setup and i like that they while they did it is a fairly typical setup uh you know the the biker gang uh, that we see in all these 80s comics uh you know picking on our our soon-to-be hero um they did it quickly enough that i i'm good with it i'm I'm glad it was just sort of we didn't need to see this happen 10 times you know what i mean Uh, i didn't need three issues of stanley getting picked on i saw it once I can tell he's a nerd. He's having these thoughts. Uh, I've seen everything I need to see to understand uh, Stanley and what's going to unfold with him. Yeah, Peter Parker, we know that you're an orphan who Mm -hmm. gets bullied at school. Exactly. I don't need the whole whole origin story, right? Let's just get to Peter. So uh, pages four through five, this is where we actually get to learn that our nerd's name is Stanley. Apparently, Stanley bought the mask for his hot girlfriend, Catherine. And right there... I know this is fiction. Some a nerd smoking. like that is, yeah, exactly. A now she's like no that. Cameron Diaz though. That was a that's a high bar to uh, to match. Yeah, that's but. one of the few examples in which a movie upgraded something from the comics. Um, he bought it for Catherine because Catherine is apparently, col- you know, into collecting weird shit. She actually likes that type of stuff. So and she got- does, the most unrealistic part is that she actually likes this. Although it's not unrealistic, she might l- act act like she likes it. It's, it's just unrealistic that she would actually like it. It's like <laughs> Marilyn Monroe like telling this. people that she enjoys reading. We don't really <laughs> believe it. Um, you know, he he got the mask because they went on a date downtown, and obviously, uh, you know, she had mentioned, "Oh, I like it. That'd be cool to get." And at some point, they got into a fight. What the fight is about doesn't matter. Basically, he got it to make up to her because when you're a nerd like Stanley, hot chicks like Catherine don't come around often. So after you know talking about it, she celebrates the gift and puts it in her collection. They go ahead and have some makeup sex. Later, they fast forward, and Stanley goes to the bathroom to see that the mask. The wooden green chipped mask is just there waiting for him as if it moved from the shelf. Uh, Pages six through 12, things get a lot freaking crazier. And this is a very art heavy book. Um, Stanley thinks that Catherine put the mask there to prank him. So at that point, he's like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and put this on and I'm going to scare her, you know, beat her at her own game. However, as soon as he puts it on. His whole face changes. It actually turns into a big headed humanoid green freak. It becomes Jim Carrey. The mask. This is the what this is what you've been waiting for. It happens almost immediately. At that point, this green goonish figure begins to go ahead and take over his entire persona. From here, this is where you just get a montage of introduction and destruction. Everything you want at bow, once. Bow, 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 so the that's, mask, the, that's the music that's playing in my bow, montage bow, bow, for some bow, reason. Bow. Yeah, so he goes on. The Bee Gees are in my violent montage. <laughs> Why? I have no idea. That probably says more about me than it does this book or anything else. You should see on. a therapist about that. Probably. 
So the mask goes on a stroll throughout town. And at this point, you know, you're just seeing all the cartoony nature uh, in the character. Think of the movie. It's literally like that in the comics. They literally pulled it straight from this book as to how ridiculous it looks. He's getting into fights of strangers. He's getting hit by cars. You're basically beginning to see what his personality is like and what his powers are. But then what he does and this is where things really kind of went off the rails for me. He goes to the neo-Nazi biker hangout and begins for like six pages, murdering, bludgeoning, torturing, <laughs> sadistically bashing and murdering every biker there. This is some grotesque shit. Folks. This is where it becomes like, oh, uh, becomes pretty clear here that this is not the movie. This is not Disney's Marvel. No, this is. This is not some comic. light anal rape. Okay, no. this is serious stuff. And yeah. he, it, what struck me too is the variety of different weapons he used. You know, machine guns, axes, machetes. Uh, you know, anything dynamite. Like he just, he just can conjure up anything to use uh, to, uh, you know, portend violence upon others. It's a yeah. beautiful sight. I mean, sight his, to see. his his powers are basically godlike into how he can go ahead and basically turn into a, a Looney Tune or an acne character, you know, dropping anvils out of places like that. So he basically sets it on fire and leaves laughing. So the next day, uh, Catherine wakes up to see Stanley return to the apartment bathroom. And as she walks in, he is barely turned back into Stanley. So she's just freaking out, like, what the hell did I see? What was there? Am I, like, tired? What's going on? And Stanley seems to have an idea of what happened. It's not like he blacked out, like, in uh, certain parts of the mask of the film and later has to figure it out. He's pretty cognizant of what happened. So just right there, we got a lot in just a few pages, Mark. Yep, we sure did. And and that's why, you know, I I, I the, the pacing of this is, is surprisingly fast, uh, but with where the story goes, it ends up working. But I, I was really taken aback at first by just how we're like not even through an issue's worth. And we've seen not just so much in the character change from Stanley to the mask, but then this these extreme levels of violence um, that... I, I wouldn't say it makes me uncomfortable, but that's probably because I'm a hardened son of a bitch. It probably should make me uncomfortable because it really is excessive. It was and over surprising. The top. It's the fact that you didn't expect it there. It's like watching Mickey Mouse murder a neighbor. You just <laughs> didn't see it coming. Right. Yeah. I mean, e even knowing in my mind that this was going to be obviously a more violent comic than uh, than the movie, I didn't really even imagine like, OK, like no half of these pages are the violence of the comic. And it actually works because it, it's it's. It's kind of what may, what adds to the overall over the top feel of this entire story. I mean, the, like the, that is just a characteristic of not just the main character and not just the action. The mask is over the top. It's part of its definition. It's part of the core of what it is. So it makes sense that everything, including the violence, also be over the top. It doesn't feel out of place at all. Yeah. So pages 13 through 17, this is where you actually begin to see almost an immediate change from the nerd Stanley Lipkiss that we went ahead and met. It's going through his venomized Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Goth phase. Right? Yeah, it's emo Peter, um, you know, bully Maguire. So Stanley looks different. He actually looks more like an asshole. If I can describe someone's face as looking more asshole like he it just randomly puts on like this, you know, just this old army BDU set, this old army uniform. And as he's watching the news, reading the newspaper, you see that he's got like a Ted Kaczynski, like, you know, list of names of people he's crossing off. So you're beginning to think like, damn, like this guy's a sick motherfucker. 
And which makes you think, did he have that list before or did he just come up with it now with the mask? So it does kind of keep that open, open as how psycho he already was or and he just does just have the power now. Yeah. So hot Catherine walks out and tries to get his attention, but he kind of shrugs her off, tells her to buzz off while he's watching the news. And then they get into an argument and the, the whole tone, the coloring of the book gets really dark. You're feeling like a Chris Brown, Rihanna situation. And then he raises not the pimp hand, but the abuse hand. Cause this is pimp hand, Mark. This As is Remso has uh, dif- differentiated on various, uh, various platforms. Yes. Uh- discipline, abuse, discipline, <laughs> abuse. This is for the YouTube viewers, discipline, abuse. Um, as soon as he's, about to discipline no abuse hand her don't mix them up this is is whether this decides whether it's a crime or not renzo i think i think that's how laws work i don't know yeah something like that if you're disciplining it's legal if you're abusing that's bad that's yeah that's the rule so before he's about to abuse hand her um he just kind of like you know takes a breath and he just leaves and at that point she's like where are you going why are you taking the mask with you and he's like well i bought it and she's just like what the hell is going on with this guy first off as soon as he leaves we meet this pair of mechanics who were repairing his car that was uh in that was damaged at the beginning of the book and they're just making fun of this dude they're like you know we've purposely gypped him in the past we we never do a complete job because we know he'll keep coming back they're calling him a nerd they're saying how does he get a hot girlfriend and stuff like that and at that point they turn around because somebody is just like um uh I have the muffler that you're trying to use for the vehicle. And it's, it's big head. It's the mask. Oh, you probably, because you're too young. You don't get the reference. This is a, a reference to, I think it's, God, man, it Midas. Is it Midas? The, the, the Midas muffler. They're like, you're never going to pay a lot for a muffler at Midas. I'm not sure if it's, it's something like that. And that's what I almost called him. Jacari. That's what the mask is refer, referencing here when he says the line. I'm not going to pay a lot for this muffler. It's like a, it's a riff on an old commercial. I did but you're not too young that for up. that. And that's why I'm here. That's why I brought the old guy along. I said the the uh, Krispy Kreme donuts joke the other day to my colleagues at work. I was like, good morning, everyone. It's time to make the donuts. That's Dunkin' Donuts, Remzo. That's Dunkin' Donuts? That's yes. not Krispy Kreme? No, it is not. That's the, that's, that's the Dunkin' Man. There was a Dunkin' Man? Back to school, yes. Okay. And he made the donuts every morning. So he kills the... He There's kills a them commercial the about it. <laughs> you just described it. <laughs> uh, pages 18 through 19. We see this uh, revenge spree go further. Stanley goes back to his old elementary school. <laughs> I love when he goes to school. It is hilarious. And he gets more angry than any other. Mar- you can see so again. You can tell Stanley's had a fucked up life and, and it is making it is adding to this. Whatever whatever level this is, it is adding to this because he has an extra red-eyed intensity when he is in the school, like, stuffing his shoe down the teacher's throat. Yeah, he's, like, straight up, like, torturing this woman in front of a classroom of kids. And what happens as soon as he's basically knocked her out, he has the kids turn into a mob and attack her while she's down. <laughs> I'm not supposed to laugh at that, but... But it's kind of funny. But it's kind of funny. So pages 20. What what makes this so awesome to me is that I still picture. I always picture Jim Carrey's voice, no matter what the mask is doing. When he becomes this the character in the book, I always picture Jim Carrey doing it, even though it's with this over the top violence. So to me, it's like in my mind, Jim Carrey is committing all this violence. And it's that's kind of hilarious to me. It makes it it makes it even scarier if you think about it. Much scarier. actually. If you if you got an R rated mask reboot, this would actually probably pull off today. I, I would they should totally do it with Jim Carrey. Just redo the movie. The same movie with Cameron D. Bring her back too. Just make it way more violent. I dig it. I'm in. 
Yeah. Pages 20 through 24. The police go to the garage that uh, Stanley was at earlier and find that the two mechanics have been brutally murdered. And I'm talking brutal, folks. Like this guy's skull is gone. He's just the muffler. The muffler is the guy's head. I don't know how that happens, but that happened. And the other dude is like Texas Chainsaw Massacre hanging from the ceiling. It is some sick shit. Like he took some pleasure in murdering these people. Uh, At that point, you know, he goes and he ends up walking on his way back. It's full of like these these like random short interludes. As he's walking back, he sees these two kids fighting. One kid is bullying the other kid. And he just freaking like knocks one kid out and he's walking by. So he gets back to his uh, apartment and falls asleep while Catherine walks in, worried that the mask is doing something to him. So much so that she picks it up and throws it away, noticing that ever since it came into their lives, Stanley's been acting like a dick. So. The next day, he's like, hey, where's the mask? She's like, I threw it away. They get into a fight, as they do. And she basically tells him that uh, she threw it out. But at that point, Stanley is like, yeah, you know, maybe I don't need it anymore because I did go ahead and kill everyone on my revenge <laughs> list, basically. I did do the whole list, so I guess I can just be go back to being a normal nerd now. Yeah, so basically after they calm down after his minor outburst, he's still in his, like, army BDUs, which, I mean, makes me wonder... And this is a theory I had. What if what if they're not just random? What if it's not just a random army uniform? What if Stanley was a veteran with PTSD and the only way he feels safe is when he's wearing his old army BDUs? That's a theory. It it, it does. He doesn't seem like a veteran to me because it seems like I met a plenty of nerds nerd. in the army. Hmm. All right. So maybe he was abused even more in like basic training and it was like the, oh, the yeah. runt of the litter during that. Like like a little Remzo, pretty much. He was a barracks bitch for sure. Totally. I hope uh, I don't want to know why you know that phrase so well and why it's I know a lot of terms so that a lot of civilians would be repulsed by. Um so basically he's sitting down back in his army uniform, watching TV and laughing at the murders as they're reported on the news. Catherine is disgusted by his behavior and kicks him out. Stanley immediately goes into the trash behind the apartment complex to find the mask. Just right here. This isn't like we can firmly say the mask is not a hero. The mask is not a hero. Yes. I think that that's been clear from the beginning. Yeah. And that, that's part, one of the differences with the movie is that in the movie he doesn't ever and he it, it, it we'll see even more of this as the book goes along but i don't think in the movie he ever just attacks random people at all he or even necessarily i mean he i guess he shows joy in in hurting the villains he does but it's really not they don't emphasize the pain it's more the comedy factor and more just like but it's but it's clearly he's only going after these the like sort of thugs and villains in the movie actually it's it's only these like specific ones um that he's sort of having this like feud with or what have you whereas in the book there are no ethical or moral limitations on the mask whatsoever it's it's purely chaos joker with powers yeah oh yeah so pages 25 through 31 stanley figuring out that the trash cans outside do not contain the mask realizes that's probably still the trash can inside of Catherine's apartment he breaks in and as she hears him breaking through the window she goes ahead and calls the cops but as soon as he walks past her she's holding a pan and she goes ahead and knocks him out while she realizes it's him and tries to convince the cops who have just suddenly gotten to the door real fast obviously they're not in chicago or detroit um stanley finds the mask puts it on and immediately without any hesitation begins attacking the cops who start shooting at him 
Catherine begins to freak out like a normal person would. And the mask goes on a murder spree going to the cops outside the building who have been responding to the to the gunshots and everything and just massacres them. Like there is like no chill. He is straight up murking people. He even has a bazooka. He like blows up the apartment building with the, with a bazooka. I mean, it is. This is not like the petty slapstick again, a light anal rape, as you might say. This uh, is of, of beyond Punisher level violence. Yeah, it, it's really it's probably the most over the top, unprovoked violence uh, you would because I mean he, he goes after people that just are just there. I mean we'll see more of this later on. Uh, the most unprovoked violence I've probably ever seen in in a comic. Yeah, I mean, or the most just, violence period, perhaps, but definitely the most unprovoked for no reason violence. It, it's grotesque. You almost feel voyeuristic watching it. It's but it really does film. drive home like that. That's what makes this so interesting is because we, we can tell Stanley's kind of bad, but like it's it's very clear. And this becomes more clear. And I think the big difference between this book and the movie, it does happen a little bit in the movie. But this book, the mask travels from character to character. I think it's mostly on Stanley for this portion of it. But um, it's it is more about the journey of the mask across characters, whereas the movie is specifically about the Stanley Ipicus character played by who's played by Jim Carrey, who's not nearly as nerdy as this, as this, or as psycho as the Stanley Epicus in this, uh, in this book. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because for people that have only seen the movie, they're going to be a bit confused by what happens a couple pages from now. Uh, pages 32 through 42, things just get wild. The cops go ahead and investigate the scene of the crime and interrogate Catherine. This is when we're introduced to another major character named Lieutenant Kelway. Remember this name. Uh, you know, at this point, Catherine begins to realize that the mask was completely taking over Stanley and making him act the way he has been. And this is where you get more examples of the thought balloons actually carrying illustrations. Mark, just on that, what, what do you think of that? It's more show, don't tell, because usually it would have been like, as I was reading, it would have been like, wow, is the Stanley, the lovable nerd I know, really capable of being a killer? Instead, it's like Stanley plus mask equals big head. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the two of them are combined equal big head, although it's and that's kind of like how she how she puts it together in her mind. Um, yeah, I, I like I, I like that we just had that instead of like, you know, five or six pages of investigative uh, investigation. I don't need dialogue. Show don't exactly. tell. And that's what I think this this story does a pretty good job of. Like, like I said, I went through the, I read the whole omnibus. I don't usually do stuff like that. Like, it takes me a long time to get through stories. Uh, sometimes because they just get too slow or they slow down. They, you know, this is such a not boring book that's so easy to get through because they because of reasons like this, they will take what in some other book would be four or five, six, maybe an issue of her figuring this out. Nope, just one panel. She puts it together in her thought balloon, and of course, it all makes sense. Uh, like Lois Lane could learn a thing or two about her but she she figured this out really easily even though he's got a whole mask and everything um but i like that about this book we don't really waste time on moving the story along we always move the story along so that we can get to more violence And speaking of more violence, now the mask is hunting out down a guy named Gary McWitter, a dude who owes Stanley money. And what does the mask do? He gets in the car and starts chasing this dude through downtown. Absolutely terrifying. Eventually, he runs into more cops. And just like what we saw about a dozen pages ago, he goes on some I can only describe it as like an anarchist, like guerrilla style Vietnam attack spree. He's mowing down people with freaking Uzis. (laughs) 
with flamethrowers. Battle axe. Yeah, this is Mortal Kombat on crack. It is going like, this insane. Is some grand, this is Grand Theft Auto level proportions. In the one scene, he's got a flamethrower in one hand and what looks like a, an Uzi in the other, and it's just blasting every single human around. You see eyeballs being shot off. You see blood. You see explosions. It's death and destruction everywhere. This is so far above and beyond uh, anything from the movie now that it, it's barely recognizable in, in terms of the level of violence. Yeah, and what should be noted is that all this is happening out in daylight. Like, there are witnesses. There are civilians. And the mask, or Big Head, as he's later nicknamed, is really... He, he, like, people see him as a, a villain. He's a monster. He really is at this point. So his reputation is this guy is going to murder and kill and maim everybody in his path. Yeah, there's no there's no conception of him being some kind of anti-hero or anything like that, like he kind of is in the movie and like a lot of other books would take with a character like this. Uh, even say like a Judge Dredd or what have you is very violent but is still seen as like a protagonist of sorts, is still seen well, as Dredd like has a code. For. Exactly, Dredd has yeah. a code. The Mask has no code at all. His code is death and destruction as much as I can push this host body to to allow me to just use my powers and go wild on because that is the point there's no ultimate end goal i think that's what makes the mask such a scary character he's not presented as the villain he's sort of the lead but he is a villainous and but it's what's so frightening about it is that he's not trying to achieve an end he's not trying to right a wrong his end is the violence that's what he's there to do there's no other reasoning needed yeah this is looney tunes plus grand theft auto (laughs) That, that, that is a good description yeah, so starring, at, starring a demented Jim Carrey. Yeah, at, at the end of this, Stanley checks into a local motel. He's getting situated, wondering what his next move is. And as he takes off the mask, and, and they move fast in this book, folks, as soon as he takes off the mask, he is shot and killed by Catherine. Catherine takes the mask, quickly puts it on, shoots Stanley, and basically she has done this after realizing that all this destruction was him. And that that's the only way to stop him. And he's not dead coming back later. He is dead, dead. The yeah. character who we thought was our lead character, the character who Jim Carrey plays throughout the mask film is just a nerdy, violent psychopath who is killed by his girlfriend. He's a throwaway. He just happened to be the first iteration of this we see. Um, and yeah, and I, I really like, again, talk about moving the story along. Another, any other book, this would have been a six-issue arc, a 12-issue arc, as she grapples with what to do. Like, and I, I think that's a lot, I don't know if it's realistic, who knows what we, any of us would do in a situation where our our significant other became a murderous uh, mask person or what have you. Um, but, but I also like the little uh, the, the little part where she she had to put on the mask to do it. You know, like she she knew inside her, like she had to dissociate. She, she needs to stop him, but she's actually not a killer. So she knows she has to put the mask on to be a killer. So she does that and then immediately takes it off because she has seen what what can happen to someone who gets too immersed in it. Uh, so she but even then it is kind of like a thing where she is now she has a bit of hubris of herself because at least for this moment, um, she thinks she's the only one that could be responsible enough to take the mask and, and do something with the mask. Although she does try to get some aid with that, as we'll see as we move the story along. But this, this had to be like what probably the end of the second issue or something. And, yeah. our, and our, what we think is our lead character just gets killed. What what did you think of Jim Carrey's Stanley Lipkiss just being shot like that? Well, I, I don't see this guy very, as very much as Jim Carrey, but it was it was surprising, especially because, you know, when you see the movie, you just assume, oh, he was the, the protagonist of the movie. So that's what we're going to see him throughout this whole series. And then but as soon as he, he died, that's when 
in that moment, I realized, okay, the, this, this series is about the mask. Whereas the movie, it's really about, yes, the mask is the instrument for the story, but it's really the growth of the character that we're, that we're looking at is Stanley Ipkiss. Um, it's his journey. It's it's him sort of, you know, conquering his own demons through it's the a mask. hero's journey. Whereas this exactly. is a lot, this is a, this is a demon's journey right here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, pages 43 through 53, this is where we really get to meet who I would consider the true protagonist of this, uh, of, of this. I think year. our pages are off or your notes are off. Cause everything you're talking about has happened 10 pages later for me, but, but I, so, but <laughs> so I, I numbered it because people might also be confused by this. I numbered it based off when the actual story starts. Oh, so you so renumbered it. Not I renumbered it. <laughs> Why would you do that? Because it made sense to me. Okay. But it's not going to make sense to anybody else, including me. But that's funny. That's a very Remzo thing to do. So we'll just carry on. It worked. <laughs> so yeah, works. if you get the omnibus and you want to follow along, you have to renumber your book starting at page five. And if you call page five, no, page seven. So if you call page seven, page one, then you should be able to follow along, along with us. <laughs> Listen, people, I ate Michelle Obama meals in school. I oh, ain't yeah. good with numbers. So anyway, Catherine gives oh, the mask the next day to Lieutenant Kelway, who's been on the mask case since this whole shit show started. She basically goes ahead and just reveals everything to him about why Stanley was the way he was, about what the mask has been doing, and that, you know, she hasn't outright said that she killed him. But what she basically said was, I don't want this freaking thing. So she goes ahead and gives it to him for safekeeping, but warns him not to wear it. He tells her he'll keep it safe at his place. But instead, as soon as he gets home, he puts it on, and as soon as the whole like, rush of powers and the masked persona begins to overwhelm him, him, a good, righteous cop who's upset with the corruption and the crime in the city, realizes that maybe unlike Stanley, who is a creepy psychopath, maybe he can use the powers of the mask to actually go after all the crime in the city his way. Right there, you have something that rarely happens. I don't think we've seen this really in any of the books that we've covered. We have a protagonist shift. Were you ready for that when this happens? Because right now we're pretty much sold. Now this is everything is prologue. Here's where the real story is starting. Yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. Even even after Stanley was killed, I thought, okay, either it's going to go to his girlfriend or she's going to throw it in the river, and we're just going to go in a whole different direction. Uh, you know, we're just you know loosely tie tie other stories, cat's eye style, together through the mask. Uh, no, we're just shifting it to someone who is this is, and this is what's interesting is that we do actually find out that. It, the answer to my question before is yes and no. I like it is the person a little bit because Callaway does do some different things, at least at first with the mask, but it also is the freaking mask. <laughs> you know, we, we kind of, it, we learned that it's, it's a little bit of everything, but there definitely are some, some differences between Kelly and, and Ip and uh, Stanley for sure. I don't even know if they call him Ip, Ip kissing this. I'm, I might just be taking that from the movie. Um, they, they mentioned it in the first couple of uh, pages. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Ke Calloway in the movie is played up like a total doofus. This Calloway is a lot more kind of like, he actually is maybe the one character you do kind of root for. Like, he, at least at first, he does kind of seem like sort of like a cool guy. Like, he's kind of on the case. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to go and just use this on villains, on bad guys. And he's you can a Mark like, oh. Wahlberg type. Okay. Yeah, and you're like, oh, maybe I could get with this. <laughs> Let's see where he goes with all this. <laughs> Yeah, so now we actually shifted to more of the uh, antagonist for the book. We Renumber. I can't get up. I can't get over the renumbering. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna think. I'm about just gonna. That. I'm, just, I'm just gonna carry through the section. <laughs> like, did you rewrite them in your book? <laughs> like, I'm picturing you literally renumbering pages with a marker so that the book is numbered more to your liking. Anyway, moving on. 
Such hatred. Such hatred. We go ahead and meet a guy named Stephen Lister. We should have a pledge, a Patreon level where Remzo will renumber your book to whatever he thinks makes the most sense. So you mail you mail him a book. I just wanted to go <laughs> off of where the story actually begins for people that might He have takes your book and on page nine or whatever it is, he just writes number one and then he goes through the whole book and renumbers it. I was so proud of my annotation. <laughs> anyway, so go proud. on. I'm so following now on. we meet this guy named Stephen Lister. Stephen Lister's a guy who works for the government, and he's meeting with these mobsters who are obviously doing mobster shit. Uh, they basically go ahead and bribe Lister, who we don't know what he does yet, but he looks like a bureaucrat type, to go ahead and um, release this police uh, informant, this criminal who's been providing information to the cops, who's attached to a cape that's who's attached to a case that is giving the mob some headaches. From there, uh, Kelway, meanwhile, begins to figure out what the mask powers are basically all about as he goes and basically uh, harasses and chases down some armed robbers from this convenience store. Um, you know, he's all cartoony as ever, and he's just basically killing these people Punisher style. So this is basically while Stanley had multiple issues of going on a, a killer rampage, we see that Kelway is way more targeted. He's definitely just going after bad guys. Mm-hmm. Right. So now what we have for the next four pages is Kelway the next day gets a call from Catherine who's worried that he used the mask after she went ahead and heard some stuff about this guy. She's got those smart thought balloons. She puts things together quickly. She's smart. She needs, she needs to go ahead and teach Lois Lane a thing or two. If there's ever a crossover, uh, she's like, Hey, you know, this sounds like you used the mask and he lies and says he didn't. Meanwhile, the police captain, uh, told him that the witness in the mob, uh, scene in the mob case, uh, is getting basically swept under. He's getting released. The case is getting put away. Um, this basically drives Kelway mad. This is when we learn that Stephen Lister, the guy who was meeting with those mobsters the night before, and I, I need to also mention that the main mobster in this book is this guy named Rapaz. Basically, he's your Italian goonish type of mobster. Um, he's the one who went ahead and you know is bribing all these officials and cops and stuff like that. Uh, this is when basically Stephen Lister walks in the room and reveals himself to be the assistant to the district attorney. He was the one who was paid off by Rapaz and the mob to make the whole case disappear. Uh, Right now, this is basically us getting the real story, like what is really going on? Who's the protagonist? Who's the antagonist? What is happening? Now we have a full depth of understanding. So really, the first couple issues are just prologue to this. This is where things really matter. Yeah, those issues are basically to show us the power of the mask and to show us the depraved lengths that this that this um, this I guess this entity, as we'll we'll find, uh, is capable of. Uh, But now there is a deeper sort of story underlying this city, and there are a lot of characters in the background, a lot of goings on, and that's where Kellaway comes in because he's been following the greater story of the city's crime ring, which is what this becomes more centered around. Um, and you know, whereas for him, running across the big head murders, we're just kind of like that was kind of like a day in the life. That all happened really fast. That just kind of passed past Kellaway's desk. But now that he has the mask, now now that tool is coming into this other journey, this other sort of uh, you know this this area with some deeper lore behind it. 
Yeah, and we get what I call basically like a montage of uh, Kelway going bam, around bam, 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 bam. Beatles again, doing and crazy the violent in. shit. He's basically going around being more of a vigilante, whereas when Stanley had the mask, he was just a psycho serial killer. Um, so while he's doing that, we go ahead and shift perspectives over to. Uh, to be clear, though, he's still pretty violent. Like, you know, he's when he does the violence, it's still he's pretty like over the venom. top. He's like le- a lethal protector. Right, right. He's just he's just a little more targeted, not just like killing the world, like like Ipicus was. But he's you know, he's, he's, no, he's no angel here. You know, he's, yeah, he's, he's enjoying himself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we go ahead and shift perspectives to Rapaz, the mobster who has found the witness who has been released by police protection. And this is when we go ahead and meet this creepy goon named Lunk. Lunk is basically what I consider an acne style villain. He's gray. He looks like a hulking character. He murders the witness and Rapaz has basically gotten his way. Uh, from there, Kelway is brought in the next day and shown the body of the informant who was killed by Rapaz and Lunk. His death was classified as an overdose, meaning, you know, these cops are corrupt as hell, or as I call them, the Annapolis Police Department. But that's a whole other thing. Um, Kelway realizes that this doesn't appear uh, to be the case of an overdose. Immediately, he begins to realize that the assistant DA, the guy we met earlier, Stephen Lister, um, is very suspicious and thinks that he may be, have been the reason that the whole case was thrown out and the witness was killed. So Kelway, much like Catherine, puts shit together fast. Yes, he does. Are you and happy with this pacing? Like I do like all this. this he just kind of figures it out like really freaking quick. There's no speculation. I am just because it's it's part of what makes the story so different and it just gets us through. Like I, I, I like I don't need a investigative crime drama out of this. That's not necessarily what I'm looking for. That becomes part of the story, but it's not what I'm here for. And uh, they seem to know that. By the way, this book, we, we skipped the most important thing, and that is talking about the creators. Script by John Arcudi and awesome art by Doug Monkey, who I believe did a lot of Batman work in the early nineties as well. Nice, so anyway, nice. just a little diversion to thank our creators and our creator. There's also a religious overtone here. Anyway, go on. So mode it be Catherine. Yes, I'm, I'm, good calls, with it. I'm good with the pacing. <laughs> Catherine calls Kelway and without outright telling him, she knows it's him going around wearing the mask, killing all these criminals warns that if he goes any further, he might find himself in danger of his life. So she's actually grown. some. like part of me thinks because there's she's some got pl- the biggest balls of anyone here because she doesn't have a mask. She had it for a second, but she is making threats against the Kel- a mask Kelloway here. And yeah. uh, it's pretty fucking awesome. Um, the mask goes ahead and tracks down Rapaz and Lunk, who have just uh, killed a would-be assassin. In a cartoonishly long fight, the mask basically electrocutes Lunk and sets Rapaz on fire. This is the one scene that cartoonishly really... Cartoonishly long is a good way to put it. Cartoonishly that. long. This is one of those fight scenes where it's like, oh, this was totally like taken in the movie and just changed around a little bit. Like It is, it is so funny, folks. You have to see this to understand it fully. Yeah, I, th- I think we're kind of like glossing over some of the comedy aspects of this because we're tight. We're you know focusing a lot on the violence, but the comedy that you see in the movie is all there. I mean, he does like a, a Frank Sinatra sort of song thing. I mean, you can you can picture Jim. He does the same thing with the carnival thing with the um you know making the uh, the balloon uh, poodle turn into that. I mean, he does so much comedic stuff that they lifted right directly into the movie, which is just it, it makes the casting of Jim Carrey all the more perfect because that's that yeah anybody could probably pull up the violence but only jim carrey could have pulled off this kind of comedic over-the-top cartoonish stuff that is that is in this book from the very beginning 
Yeah, and I mean, he he electrocutes Lunk, and it basically looks like any cartoon where a character gets electrocuted, except you're pretty much assuming he's dead. And then what does he do to Rapaz, the mobster? He sets him on fire. Damn. You gotta send a message sometimes. So yeah, again, um, the mask definitely makes you do more evil things, even if you're targeting that towards uh, maybe what you might call a a better place like Kellaway is. Well, speaking of Kelway, things don't really go well for him. He's pulled off the mask case because of all the destruction. The police department thinks that he's a failure. They use him as a scapegoat. The city wants answers. The bureaucrats demand solutions. However, the police captain found a witness who thinks he may have seen him turn into Kelway. Potentially, we have a lead on who the mysterious big head that everyone is talking about is. And at this point, Kelway is freaking the fuck out. So this witness only agrees to meet with the cops at night at the local harbor. And who do they send to talk to him? They send Kelway. Well, he takes advantage of this. And this is when he starts to turn a little bit more diabolical, not wanting anyone to have an ounce of a clue as to what's going on. Kelway basically threatens the guy as the mask into running away, threatening his life if he were to say anything to the police or anyone else. The and this, mob- this is where you start to see, at least to me, this is how I take it, is like, yes, Kellaway starts off more clearly targeting these specific bad guys that he's been dealing with. Um, but but as the story goes along, he the mask influences him more and makes him more and more depraved, not just in the the acts and the way that he kills people, but also in what he's willing to do. So I think that again, it's displaying that there is definitely a combination of the ethical boundaries of the, of the human host along with the influence of the mask. But I think that the longer the human host has, has the mask and embraces the mask and, and um, goes through the rituals of death and murder with the mask, the more and more it comes under the influence, even when he's not wearing the mask. Cause you can even see that, that Callaway, when he's not wearing the mask, has a different attitude about him too. He's going through his own little bully McGuire mode. You know, he's he's getting all cocky at the station and everything. So you can see the influence of the mask uh, throughout the progression of, of really every character that wears it. Ultimately, yeah. And now the mob is frustrated that somebody is messing with their operations involving heroin and money laundering and everything else, and they begin to really think that because of everything happening in town recently, that it could potentially be a cop that's undermining all their shit. From there, uh, because Rapaz is dead, a whole mob war breaks out. Uh, they go ahead and one set of mobsters goes ahead and uh, goes into this restaurant. They start murdering this other rival uh, mafia group and they take hostages. Well, Kelway is tasked to the hostage crisis uh, as a result of the mob hit at the local restaurant. And for just a whole issue, he's just murdering people like this should be a really comedic scene. And it still shows that he's in control. But like you said, Mark, he's in control to an extent because he is just murdering everybody. So quickly, uh, as soon as all the, you know, as all the gunmen are subdued, uh, Kelway walks out as himself. He's greeted as a hero. But then once people actually start to see the grotesqueness of that, because they can't say that the mask was in there, Big Head wasn't responsible for this. No, it was Kelway, right? They're like, Kelway, you straight up cut people in half, blew heads off. This isn't just murdering bad guys <laughs> right. to save hostages. Like, this doesn't quite look like self-defense, dude. <laughs> yeah, this is like some Dexter level shit. So they go ahead and basically fire him, you know, basically kick him out of the department for just grotesque violence. Um, at that point, Catherine knows that Kelway has gone too far and demands the mask back from him. But before things get too simple, Lunk turns out to be alive and kills the last of the opposing mob bosses. Are Only- you calling Walter Lunk? Is that what was that what's happened happening this whole time? Is that his name? I was so confused about whether every time I thought you said I thought Lunk. his name was Lunk. 
Walter, the big, the big, yeah. big huge dude that who he yeah. burns and electrocutes. They, yeah, they they nickname him Lunk. They oh, always call him Walter in my book. I, I don't know. Maybe I have the Remzo maybe, specially maybe. renumbered and renamed oh, edition. Sh- oh, shush. Oh, shush. <laughs> well, anyway, big goon guy, Walter, uh, turns out to be alive, kills a guy. And what happens when he gets arrested later because he hasn't put up a fight? He does so because he's being defended by the DA's office, who turns out that that guy, Stephen, is part of the mob's heroin trade. From there, Kelly decides to go full vigilante justice and takes the whole thing into his own hands and goes after everybody involved. And as he eventually gets over to the assistant DA's office and the DA's office, instead of killing Lister to actually show that he's a good guy and not, you know, like Stanley or anyone else who's just a violent sociopath, he leaves him for his old police partner to find an arrest while also providing evidence of a detailed journal of names and locations and stuff like that, heroin, a, a bundle of cash, basically everything showing Stephen Lister's involvement with the mob. From there, as the cops are outside trying to figure out like what has really happened, what's happening, again, all this blood and gore and violence and destruction, the mask comes out and actually begins to gloat about doing the cops' job for them outside the scene of the courthouse. It feels very Jim Carrey again. I can just picture him. I mean, the movie didn't go into this part of it at all, but uh, you can picture. I, I almost want this makes me want a more, like you said, a more violent, like a mask sequel where they get into more of this side of it. But anyway. Yeah, we would need a better Callaway, though. He was a joke in the movie. Yeah, he he basically starts gloating. And from there, the cops, without even thinking, they pull out their guns and start firing at him. But he shrugs them off. And this is the first time the mask actually looks pissed. As soon as all the bullets have landed and he's still there standing because nothing can kill him. He just looks at them like, you know what? You actually pissed me off. And he starts another cop murder spree and <laughs> almost kills his old friend and partner. But as he begins to, you know, break apart from the mask persona, the big head persona, Kelway realizes that the mask's ultraviolent actions are too much and decides to go back to his house and bury the mask under cement as Catherine, who found out where he lives, is banging on his door, banging on his door, demanding that he give it to her so that way she could hide it where no one, not even him, will know because this has to stop, not knowing that he's in the basement and he's actually buried it under concrete. And that is where this first series, The Mask, leaves us, fellow listener. Yeah, I like that we see a lot. We never really see a moral conflict at all with Stanley. Uh, it really seems like he was just a total psycho empath in there. I think that part becomes really clear, even taking into account the influence of The Mask. But Callaway is a little more complex of a character. Um, he does seem to, like at his core, kind of want to do the right thing. And it, I do love that twist. Like You just think, okay... The Callaway's finally got the mask under, under control. He's kind of done the right thing. Yeah, he's still over the top, still over violent, but you know, he's just he's 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 finishing the case. He's getting it to his partner, and then just when you think that he's like almost gone straight, he goes on another killing spree. But I also like that that moment there where uh, Callaway has his partner and is like about to kill him. I think he's like his eyes are bleeding. He's about to kill him, and he, he realize he looks at him. He's like, oh my, and he realizes like how much the mask has turned him into something that he's not and cannot uh, unleash on the world, which causes him to sort of finally take control and bury it and I could go on about what happens in the in the next two miniseries because since I read this whole omnibus I'll just say I really enjoy where it goes and um, that's really all I'll say I don't want to spoil anything else for anybody that, that wants to read it we already spoiled this miniseries so we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that well I'm, I'm definitely going to be finishing this omnibus but before we do that let's go ahead and kick off with our ratings Mark go ahead and start us off uh, 
Mm-mm-mm. Tough one to we'll start with the art. Uh the art is good. I would call it good. I would just call it very good. Uh I wouldn't call it par excellence i wouldn't call it the best art i've ever seen it does fit the story very well um but i would say the art is about where it should be for a story like this i'm going to give the art like a 3.5 i think the art is is, mm, it's grungy which is a very acquired taste and i I really like doug monkey as an artist but as you've kind of pointed out in the past the, the art was very good here, but I, I could picture other artists doing it. It's not like it had to be Doug Monkey's art. And I really feel that it is very similar to many other artists of the era. It doesn't really stand up necessarily above and beyond any of them. So 3.5 is still very, very good art. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that. I almost, I almost second guess myself there. Um, but I think it is very much lifted up even more so um, by the story. See that that's the thing with art to me. This is what I, this is what I like to tell myself. Would I look at the story differently if, if it had like different art, you know, like, like it, so to me, like this, this art is interchangeable with a lot of other artists. It didn't like make the story, you know, it didn't, it didn't yeah. make or break the story. It was just what it needed to be for the story. Whereas there are other books we've looked at for sure, um, where the art is an essential part of the story. So that, that's kind of where I, I put that dividing line, but the story itself here, and especially due to what is ultimately, and doesn't seem like it at first, but it is ultimately complexity in these characters, uh, based on sort of how the mask influences them, how they are able, able to walk their own ethical boundaries and ethical lines within the mask. I do find that a really compelling story. Um, there are some tropes in this for sure, you know, like the, the eighties biker gangs and things like that, but it's different enough and takes me on enough twists and turns, especially as you go through this omnibus that it always stays interesting. Um, maybe a good criticism that you put forward is sometimes there is just a little too much putting things together and moving on, but that's kind of what makes the story so different to me and why it stands out a lot more. Um, so I, I like the story a lot. Um, a five, no, but I'll give it a four point five. So uh, that brings my total to blah, 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 eight. I'm, I'm giving it an eight. Well, I, I'm pretty much with you on the artwork. Could I imagine other people doing this? And would it change much of my perception of the story? Um, yes and no. I gave it a three point five because it's just good for this. It's not always very clean, and by that I'm not saying like the gore and the violence. I mean it's just it switches between being grungy and being like you know Looney Tune slapstick, which you know we've seen in other books. You saw this in Maze. We saw this in um you know in in the Max. TMNT, yeah. You know TMNT. Yeah. Uh, I mean it's very much of the era. Um, you know it's appropriate for this, but I could see other people switching in out. I think three point five is more than fair. The mask. I'm going to say to me the mask stood out as being above and beyond. To me the mask the art of Sam. Keith more than made the story not not singularly but it was integral to the story whereas this art is not as integral I would say I would say it still is but not as integral that's my it gets the job done it gets the job done yes yeah um uh, for for the story I will give it a four because while it's very you know it's it's very like straightforward with everything it does carry that moral undertone there's not many stories that are willing to kill the protagonist and then do a complete protagonist switch uh, right in the middle of it. So I found that to be interesting. It was very refreshing to kind of see that. It subverted my expectations. And I think, you know, the fact that Catherine actually plays a significant role, she's not just like, you know, a token, you know, love interest or something like that. I thought that was very interesting. And all the characters are very, you know, they're, they're very separate in 
cut and dry individuals in their own right. There aren't people who blur, you know, roles or anything. So I really like that. I think giving it a four is is pretty freaking good. More than I thought I was going to give it, if I'm being honest. I had low expectations for this because I thought it was going to be very slapsticky from the beginning. So I'm giving this uh, all four issues of the original Mask series a, a 7.5 out of 10. Pretty darn close. Pretty yeah. darn close, I'd say. So uh, firmly in the, uh, I would say that's just on the borderline between Sunday read and excellent. Uh, someday we're going to need to come out with a, with a, an official meter, an official yeah. ranking system. But um, it's certainly on the better end of what you might put into a Sunday read category, I would if say. If you see it on a shelf, especially the omnibus, I don't think you'll regret getting it. Yeah, if, if Especially if you like the movie, too. I think this is not a book you're going to read and be like pissed off because of how different the movie was or vice versa like it, it it's very different but it's more entertaining than the movie yeah i think so i mean they're, they're certainly different mediums but um i think they respect each other uh yeah. I, it's in a way that i think you can even though even with the big differences in them one is clearly made more for kids and one is definitely not um they the movie respects the source material but not just respects the source material like it really draws from the source source material in a, in a way that makes both of them sort of feel cohesive even even with their vast differences yeah well that's uh that's that's all she wrote folks that is mark all she wrote. you want to take us home Take me home tonight. I don't want to wear that mask till I kill some people. Damn it. See, this is why I'm not a professional battle rapper because I couldn't I couldn't rhyme that final line with anything. I, I had to I had to rhyme something with with night. It just didn't happen. Well, the intention was there. But it's too late now because now I'm explaining it. And that and anyway, to support my battle rap lessons please head over to patreon.com slash second print pod for as little as five smack a ruse a month we give you all sorts of bonus content early access to these episodes uh bonus content like remzo versus the dceu currently he has done mcu uh phase one and phase two iterations of that you have tales from the fucking pile from me case of the runs from me uh random movie reviews and such that we'll definitely be hopping on uh for and getting ahead of uh whenever whenever the next properties come out i think it's safe to say and at some point i don't know when at some point, I will be having Mandalorian reviews. It might not be episode by episode. We might even just do a half-season review and an end-of-season review with good old Dan Smot. So lots of stuff going on behind that payroll. But you can you can do the five smackers. We're totally happy with you. That In fact, we're happy if you just share the show with a friend and enjoy the experience and maybe leave us a five-star rating and a great review. We're happy with all of that. However, you could also be a baller. You could be a baller like Jeffrey, an Infinity Gauntlet member. You could be a little lower than that, a Kirby Club member, and you could produce an episode of the show just like Jeffrey did today. Uh, you do not have to send us an omnibus to do that as well. That Jeffrey just, just is just the biggest baller. He's a of pimp. Them. Exactly. The biggest pimp. Pimpin' Patreon. I always forget the third P. Pimpin' Patreon producer. Producer. Oh, yeah, the important one. Uh, that's all I got, Remzo. You want to take us home? See, you tried You tried to have me take you home tonight. Now I'm going to make you take us home. Well, folks, if there's one thing you can do, it's sweet, it's simple. Whisper it to your wife as she's falling asleep. It's read comics and change, change the, the world. world. sweetie. Good night, America. Adios. Adios.